Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Is President Trump afraid of the NRA? Critics of his new gun plan say yes. Plus, Stormy Daniels says she'll give back that so-called hush money if... She can talk. And the Secretary of Education stuns with her lack of knowledge about, well, education. This is the State of America Tonight. It doesn't make sense that I have to wait till I'm 21 to get a handgun, but I can get this weapon at 18. The White House new plan does not expand background checks, does not raise the minimum age of purchase. I ask him, show us that you're better than these other politicians, that you aren't owned by the NRA. Have the public schools in Michigan gotten better? Uh, I don't know. We have done more than any first-term administration in the history of our country. This uh, rally was really about Donald Trump. He's thinking about himself as a candidate. Is there any more fun than at a Trump rally? Hello, I'm John Avalon, live in New York for Kate Baldwin, and this is the State of America Tonight. Nearly one month after the Parkland school shooting that left 17 people dead and revived the U.S. debate on gun laws, Team Trump has unveiled new proposals on school safety. And you may recall that the president was very vocal on one key issue. It doesn't make sense that I have to wait till I'm 21 to get a handgun, but I can get this weapon at 18. I don't know. But uh, in addition to everything else, in addition to what we're going to do about background checks, we're going to go very strong into age, age of purchase. But as the saying goes, that was then. And this is now. Because the president appears to have had a change of heart, with Trump tweeting that he is now watching how the courts tackle age limits before taking action. He claims there is, quote, not much political support, to put it mildly. But at least one Republican congressman, a former Navy SEAL, says the debate should go forward. The president, he, he, I, I understand that he's backed off a little bit that right now, but I still think it should be on the table. We should sit down and, and actually talk about it and discuss it and see where, where we can move the needle in terms of for school safety, for increased background checks, and yeah, discussing that age. Now, while the proposal does not increase the age limit on buying guns, it does call for stricter enforcement of background checks. And it also opens the door to arming some teachers. Now, the Democrat who represents Parkland slammed both plan and President Trump. The president sat in that meeting with me and others and looked at our colleagues in the eye and said, you can't be afraid of the NRA. And yet here he is retreating to a position, retreating to a position that is solely the one that the NRA advocates. That is shameful. One of the students who survived the shooting agrees with the congressman. I was respecting Trump for really showing that he's not like the other politicians. After he met with the NRA the other day, he's shown that he's no better than the rest of them, and he's just as afraid. And when it comes to arming teachers, Betsy DeVos, the woman who is in charge of U.S. schools as the secretary of education, 
Well, she had some difficulty explaining exactly just what a policy like that would look like. What percentage of teachers at schools would need to be armed in your mind to be effective? I don't have a percentage. Would there be an armed teacher in every classroom? I don't think that would be appropriate. Do you think they should be able, teachers should be able to carry assault weapons since presumably they may face assault weapons? Do you have an opinion on that? I don't think an assault weapons in schools carried by any school personnel is the appropriate thing. Now, that was the second stumble for DeVos in just 24 hours. The first came last night, where she struggled to answer basic questions about schools in her home state of Michigan. Take a listen. Have the public schools in Michigan gotten better? Uh, I don't know. Overall, I I can't say overall that they have all gotten better. The whole state is not doing well. Well, there are certainly lots of pockets where the the, the students are doing well. But your argument that if you take funds away, uh, that the schools will get better is not working in Michigan. Have you seen the really bad schools? Maybe try to figure out what what they're doing. I have not. I have not. I have not intentionally visited schools that are underperforming. Maybe you should. Uh, maybe I should. Yes. The White House has not yet commented on that disastrous DeVos interview, but sources tell CNN that officials watched her appearance with dismay. And scrutiny is likely to intensify in coming months as she leads a blue ribbon panel on school violence prevention and guns. Now, speaking of intensifying scrutiny, we can't forget about Stormy Daniels, you know, the porn star suing the president. Well, she's now offering to return that $130,000 that Trump's personal lawyer paid her by Friday, if it will end her silence. Daniels' attorneys say this new deal would allow her to share texts, photos, and videos without fear of retribution. Cohen has until 12 tomorrow, noon Eastern time, to respond. So let the countdown begin. Now, CNN White House reporter Boris Sanchez joins me now. Boris, back to guns. The question I've got is, is there anything on the president's gun plan that wasn't pre-approved by the NRA? It does not appear so, John, specifically on the issue of raising the minimum age limit to buy these assault-style weapons. Sarah Sanders was at the podium just moments ago for the press briefing saying that it was within the guidelines, that it was something that the president was going to continue pushing for, even though in the president's own words, it appears that he's weighing the political wins before taking the lead on this, and he's backing away from pushing this more aggressively. And I have the guidelines with me right here. I read through it yet again. There is no mention of age limits within this, despite that the White House is insisting that it is part of their plan. Here's more from Sarah Sanders at the podium. now the president's primary focus is on pushing through things that we know have uh, broad bipartisan support or things that we can do from an administrative perspective that we can do immediately. But we haven't let go of some of those other things that we're going to continue to review and look at. Now, I just want to give you some perspective from Capitol Hill, John. It's not only Democrats attacking the president for apparently backing away from positions that he's previously supported. Last night, I spoke to a Republican lawmaker who has high ratings from the NRA, who is dismayed that the president was moving away from raising the age limit. He told me that he believes the president, quote, has abandoned his instincts on the issue of gun safety policies. And he went further saying that this is a missed opportunity that fails to honor the victims and survivors of Marjorie Stoneman 
Douglas High School. We should also note that part of this plan includes the creation of a task force uh, to closely examine school violence and then come up with policy and funding recommendations to try to prevent more shootings. Well, this Saturday in Pennsylvania, the president, uh, during a speech to supporters, was talking about the opioid issue and the problem of drugs within the United States and mocked the idea of creating task forces and blue ribbon committees to examine these kinds of issues, saying that all they do is talk and get nothing done. Apparently, the president believes that is part of the solution for school violence, John. Yeah, that was unfortunate timing. But that quote you just gave us from his fellow Republican, that's tough talk. Thank you, Boris. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Coming up, President Donald Trump ditches the teleprompter and goes freeform in a speech that felt very much like his old days on the campaign trail. Our panel weighs in next. President Trump told his audience that he wouldn't act presidential, and he didn't disappoint, giving a freewheeling weekend speech in Pennsylvania, quickly abandoning prepared remarks to deliver a series of classic Trump riffs. So let's bring in our political panel to talk about it all. Kevin Madden, CNN political commentator and Republican strategist. Karun Demersion, a CNN political analyst and congressional reporter at The Washington Post. Robbie Mook, CNN political commentator and former campaign manager for Hillary Clinton. And John Thomas, Republican consultant and Donald Trump supporter. It's great to have you all here. This was old school Trump. This was Trump unplugged. So, John Thomas, I got to say, while the base is loving it, when you saw the new poll coming out showing that the Democrat is beating the Republican by six points in a district Trump won by 20, does that make you think there's a problem beneath all the cheers? Oh, there's definitely a problem. I mean, the biggest problem I notice is that candidates do matter. Uh, we have a terrible Republican candidate running in that race and an excellent Democratic choice on the flip side. So the Republican wasn't doing his job. But what that Monmouth poll showed me was that while Connor Lamb, the Democrat, had almost 98 percent of Democrats supporting him, the Republican only had 88 percent supporting him. And that's what difference Donald Trump can make is bringing it home. And not to mention that poll started on Thursday night and rolled through Sunday. So Trump didn't speak until Saturday night. So the poll really didn't take into factor whether or not Trump can move those Republican votes. All right. So we're counting. You're counting on a Trump bump. And that sound you heard may have been you throwing the Republican candidate under the bus. Karun, <laughs> uh, question for you in Congress. You know, the, the state legislative numbers have been stunning. Thirty nine seats that Trump won have flipped to Democrat. Uh, D Doug Jones in Alabama, the senator, of course, uh, upsetting Roy Moore. How are Republicans on the Hill looking at this rates given almost twelve million dollars spent for a special? Well, clearly, it's an important bellwether. And if it does not, um, if it goes to Democrats, it's going to be a signal to some Republicans who've been on the fence about this that maybe the, the climate in November is not going to be really in their favor. And you may see some more retirements coming as a result of this. So um, certainly that there's, there's this problem for the GOP, which is that they have not been putting up the best candidates. And that's been the excuse that many have used to point to the loss in Alabama and others like that. Um, and again, you know, of course, the Saccone is not the, the most vivacious candidate, perhaps, that you could 
could imagine putting forward in this context. So contest, but um, the aftermath will probably be some excuse making if they lose. But if they lose, it's going to be a signal to a lot of GOP members that just you know have decided to hold on, but may decide not to going forward um, if if this race does not go their way. And of course, Democrats are watching it because every win that they get under President Trump, they take as a signal that you know they they are in a good position heading towards November, and they are eyeing flipping the House. And you do need about two dozen seats to do that. But um, each time you have something go not the president's way, it's kind of very invigorating for Democrats and gives Republicans a pause. Of course, if they, right. the Republican candidate wins, that we're talking about probably a, a sense of relief and, and, and optimism for the GOP. So Karen makes a point about the so-called blue wave, that uh, exquisite sensitivity to these races that may lead other Republicans to the exits. Kevin, you're a veteran of these Republican civil wars, and a lot of folks on what's left of the center-right are mortified when they see Trump playing off freeform, attacking his perceived enemies, but they recognize that the base loves it. The rationalization I'm hearing a lot lately is, look, don't listen to what he says. Look at what he does. You'll feel better. Is that just a new form of denial? Um, well, it dep- I think a lot, in large part, John, it depends on what districts you're in. I think many of these majority maker districts, um, that could be the case. Uh, and I'm talking about, we're talking about these districts that rely traditionally on many, even moderate Democrats for, to, for their support and also right. some independents to come out and create a, a, a bit broader of a coalition. So in those districts, yes. And, and, it's, and going back to some of the earlier points made, Many of these candidates, uh, and if you look at what happens in Pennsylvania, is the candidate there, who is, I think John was right, was a bad candidate, but also made the race entirely a referendum on Donald Trump. Many of these other candidates, in order to survive, they just have to get out of the national jet stream. Uh, they don't want to litigate their individual races through the lens of whether or not you support or, or don't support Donald Trump. And instead, find ways to, to use local issues, uh, find ways to personalize the race as a contrast between them and, uh, and, and, and the, specific Democrat, uh, the specific Democratic candidate, rather than have it look like it's just a generic battle of, of, of uh, Donald Trump versus the, the, the Democratic brand. That's well, where and, I think many of these that's candidates... That's the really... Even, even the Republican candidate was not even advertising on television until about a week ago when the Republican Party pressed the panic button. And Connor Lamb had set the electorate in motion. I mean, he's making every textbook campaign mistake one could make. Well, but they've got both a bucket of money behind him. I mean, more money now they spent do. on this race should ever be spent in a, in a special. But, you know, Kevin's making an interesting point about running against Trump, running against people. Is that sufficient in a time of negative partisanship? And while Trump does not believe there are any third rails in politics. He certainly went after a third rail in American culture uh, during that speech. And Robbie, I want you to hear this soundbite and then a response and then respond yourself. Oh, I'd love Oprah to win. I'd love to beat Oprah. I know her weakness. No, no, I know her weakness. I know her weakness. Wouldn't we love to run against Oprah? I would love it. I would love it. That would be a painful experience for her. Do not give your energy to the other side. Do not spend all your time talking about your opponents. Do not give your energy to that which you really don't believe in. Do not spend an ounce of your time on that. Now, Robbie, I'm not going to ask you to play fantasy baseball with candidate Oprah. I'm not going to do that. But (laughs) what I am going to ask you to do is is reflect on, on her response. Don't fixate politics, Democrats, on 
what you're against. Don't fixate on Trump. Focus on what you're for. And I wonder, given your experience running the Hillary Clinton campaign, whether that's a lesson you take to heart in the rearview mirror. Was there too much energy attacking Trump and not proposing positive new policies? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, uh, I I agreed with Kevin's point earlier uh, that these candidates need to run local races. But what you just saw was Donald Trump making this race about him and about uh, national issues. So I think he's making it really hard for candidates to follow that strategy, although it is the right one. To your question uh, about Oprah, I agree with her. And I think one of the things, as you just alluded to, that we really struggled with during the last campaign was to get Hillary's proactive vision for what she was going to do for voters out there. It is incredibly challenging when you're running against Donald Trump to talk about what you're going to do. That's both because Donald Trump's throwing a new grenade out there every day. The media is asking you to react to that. Um, and frankly, the scandals. And I think this is going to continue to be an issue. This, I would say, is probably the number one challenge that 2020 candidates are going to face. It is really hard, and it's going to be even harder in the primary when people are going to be jockeying and competing to be the most anti-Trump. But I do think we need to take uh, her words to heart. Uh, unfortunately, it is, it is much harder said uh, than done, but she's right. So John, pro- I, proposition I know, is more powerful her, than opposition. John, I know her weakness. Her weakness is that she wants to be loved. And when you run for office, you get attacked And people who once loved you will not like you because you become a partisan figure. Donald Trump understands that better than anybody. I I find that ironic in uh, in contrast to Donald Trump. I think that man seeks love and affection and attention more than anybody else. I think he seeks. I think he seeks ratings. He doesn't care if you love him. I think Oprah would take him down on that measure. (laughs) He he loves ratings, but I think we all know that if you're looking to be loved, probably the political arena is not the place to go looking for it right now. Uh, That said, I think we can all aspire to uh, a politics of addition, not division going forward. All right. Thank you very much, panel. You're coming back for more. But we're going to be talking about Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, who is facing new criticism after failing to answer basic questions on school performance. Our great panel weighs in next. Should the teachers wear their weapons outside so everybody can see it, including little kids, presumably, or should they conceal them so that there's that element of surprise? Look, this is an issue that is best decided by local communities and by states. It is not going to be appropriate in every location, but it is going to be appropriate in some place. That was Education Secretary Betsy DeVos speaking to NBC Today. This was just one more troubled interview in the past 24 hours alone. In a 60 Minutes interview last night, she had problems answering basic questions about schools in her home state. The Detroit Free Press said DeVos flubbed questions. The Washington Post said she stumbled during the interview. And those were the kind remarks. The White House official says White House officials say they watched in dismay. So let's get back to the panel. Uh, and I'm going to start with uh, Kevin because... DeVos seemed to be a silver lining appointee. Yes, no education, but people believe that maybe the Trump administration could find some bipartisan room to grow on education reform because Democrats, some Democrats support school choice. DeVos just seems to keep lighting herself on fire, doesn't she? And doesn't that end up hurting the policies? 
Yeah, and, and look, I don't know who over at the Education Department thought that one of the best venues for uh, a you know, large national platform for Betsy DeVos was 60 Minutes. I mean, I am the last, John, as you know, I'm one of the last guys to promote the whole media bias conspiracies uh, or media bias argument. Um, but this is clearly a platform and, and a, you know, a, a show that is usually pretty hostile to Republican administrations. Uh, and Betsy DeVos, you know, was not very, even prepped for what they should have expected would be a very tough, uh, uh, tough interview. And, um, you know, that was one of the things that Betsy DeVos brought to the table as an appointee, which is somebody who is not a career politician, somebody who is sort of outside the box, not of Washington. Clearly, uh, the lack of, uh, of preparation, clearly the lack of experience she has with dealing with these national inquiries from, from you know, a media outlet like 60 Minutes, uh, she was clearly exposed. And the White House now is on the defense as a result. Big time. But, Kern, I'm going to move beyond style points and talk about the policy. Look, cynicism passes for wisdom in Washington for a reason, but it does look like this, the gun proposal put forward by the White House, as modest as it may be, has a prayer of passage. Tell me why I'm wrong. Well, um, the, the, the question is going to be, you know, do Democrats try to hold the line and, and actually try to demand more from this? I mean, the gun proposals that are put out by the White House go less far than the president seemed to indicate he was willing to go personally when he had that open uh, roundtable meeting with lawmakers from both sides of the aisle that was televised. I mean, it was the, they, they let cameras in the room. And he seemed to be saying, you know, don't chicken out when it comes to standing up to the NRA and lent support to the idea of raising the minimum age to buy rifles and, and, and various other proposals that seem to be going where Republican presidents and Republican lawmakers have not really gone before. And this proposal is not as robust. So you can't really pass a package of gun reforms unless you have buy-in from both parties. And a lot of the mm -hmm. votes are going to have to come from Democrats. Democrats want to see more action on that. And so the calculus on gun reform is a lot like it is on immigration. You know, you, you have things that are, okay, they're good, but are they enough? And that becomes the question for can you build the political coalition to actually get this through. So, so Robbie, on will the you have some... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say there there is enough, you know, bipartisan buy-in to do things like the fix Nick's bill and, 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 mm -hmm. and move those sorts of fixes along, but maybe not by itself. And that's the question. So, Robbie, on the coalition building side, Democrats can look at this and say it's weak tea. It falls far short of Manchin Toomey. Um, it's really token and NRA approved. But as a Democrat, as, as some leader in the party, can you agree that some progress on guns is better than none? Should Democrats support something simply to show that Congress isn't impotent on this issue? Yeah, I think the issue, though, that is, as you said, this bill has no teeth. I mean, anything that's NRA approved just isn't going to have teeth. And we're seeing once again, we, we saw this on immigration. We've seen it on the budget. We've seen it on a number of things where the president is a totally unreliable negotiator in all of this. You know, he gets out there and says one thing uh, when he's in the room with Democratic or Republican colleagues from Congress. And then somebody comes in the room. In this case, it was the NRA lobbyist, whispers in his ear, flatters him, gets him to change his position and then he comes out and is saying something different. And th th this is why he can't govern. This is why he can't get things passed, because when he says something, you can't rely on him to stick with it, you know, even 24 hours later. So I, I, I in general, Democrats should vote for a bill if it moves the ball down the field. But the problem is this bill doesn't do that. So there's no reason to really get behind it. And the president may change his mind again. Is, is that a yes or a no? Should Democrats back this bill as weak as it is or not in your estimation? I think they should push to get more at this point. It's just not enough. All right. It's not, just enough. not enough. Okay. All right. Now, John Thomas, I want to take you all the way to France, and there's a reason. Uh, 
Steve Bannon, uh, he formerly of the White House Strategy Department, spoke to Marie Le Pen's group, now uh, reading the formerly known as the National Front, and said this over the weekend that I think deserves a little bit more scrutiny. Let them call you racist. Let them call you xenophobes. Let them call you nativists. Wear it as a badge of honor. Now, John, uh, there's a lot of debate about Marine Le Pen speaking at CPAC, about the broader conservative populist or uh, ethno-nationalist alliances in politics. But we have had deep debates in this country about how it's fundamentally wrong to call Trump supporters racist. And I agree with that. We should we, we need to find common ground in this country. But here's Steve Bannon saying, let them call you racist. Where does a badge of honor? Uh, what is that? What do you think about that? How does that skew your assessment of, of the alliances in this debate? Well, I, I think what Bannon was doing was prepping them with the understanding that the opposition is going to call you a racist. And instead of arguing on their terms, defending yourself because you know you're not a racist, stick to message and just understand you're getting under their skin. I mean, I can always count in any race I'm working on here in a partisan contest the seconds until my side is called a racist. It's a standard attack line. If you're not comfortable and ready to deal with it and stick to the message that voters actually care about, you're not going to win a race. So you're saying own it. Fascinating advice. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the panel today. Now, this is day 417 of President Trump's administration, and that is the State of America tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.